Turn your Bibles to page two. <laughs> Beginning with verse four. Genesis chapter two, verse four. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth, can you say dew? Mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the earth. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Some may say, wait a minute, this doesn't line up with chapter 1. What in the world's going on here? Do we have a contradiction in the Bible right out the gate? Well, if you read any literature at all, given any time to reading, you understand authors often give the big picture, and then they go down to the minute picture. I think Charles Dickens, one of his books, opens with the words, it was the best of times and the worst of times. And then it goes into the tale of the story. This is a what? Big Mac. But let's get a bigger picture. It's a Big Mac in a tire, a truck tire. But let's get a bigger picture. It's actually Reba McIntyre. <laughs> so here's Genesis chapter 1. And here is Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. An ongoing, focusing in on the planet to an area of the world known, I learned about this as a kid in public school, the Fertile Crescent. The Lord God formed man, or Adam, that's the Hebrew word for man, formed Adam of the dust of the ground. That's Adama. So Adam came from the Adama. Adam came from the Adama. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being or a living soul. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. So here's the case for it being on the east side of that picture. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Dalium and the onyx stone are there. We do not know where that river was due to flooding, due to the great flood, due to earthquakes, due to the passage of time. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. So we also do not know the exact riverbed, which is that river. The name of the third river is Hidekel, or the Tigris. We know where that is. That flows through Iraq. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. So 
So there they have the other theory, their theoretical location for Eden in toward the uh, east side of what's known as Syria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. So we have both the Tigris or the Hittichel and the Euphrates with us, Euphrates rivers with us today. So Iraq says that they are Eden. Uh, their, their weather can be pretty brutal, so I know that with the great flood, there was a huge shift in the weather. Verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely, freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I don't want to get ahead of us, but what was the temptation of eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil? It was the tree that's an opportunity of catching up where maybe you've been missing out. It was the temptation of other things. It's the illusion that the advertising world, if you're in advertising business, sorry, I'm not going to throw you under the bus today, but it creates the illusion where you want something you don't have. You've been missing out. You need a Big Mac today. We now put, we'll put eggs on your Big, your Big Mac. It was also the opportunity to live a life in rebellion to what the Creator told them to do. And an invitation to know right from wrong for yourself without having to meet with a Creator and consult seeking counsel. And so we have a problem in the human race, independence. We want to be the self-made man. We want to, you know, we want to make it. We see this mostly in men. Who loves men? Which men in here loves to stop and ask for directions? Hate it. Because we hate admitting ignorance. Now, why do women not mind asking for directions? Because they don't mind admitting that the man they're with is an idiot. <laughs> All right, back to the sermon. I'd like to speak to you today on Adam, the first and the last Adam, the first and the last Adam. Jesus is known as the second Adam or the last Adam. The word second implies there might be a third. He's the last one. Here's a genealogy tree of Jesus uh, coming through Joseph, the lineage through his earthly father, the one who adopted him. You know, when you're adopted, you are brought into all the rights of family heritage, right? And legally, if you're married to someone who has someone else's child, legally the government views that child as your child. It's a painful deal. All right. Back to the text. So there's Adam and there's Jesus, the first and the last Adam. Technically, Noah is like an Adam in that he fathered the rest of the human race that got wiped out, that didn't get wiped out in the flood. Abraham is like an Adam. He fathered the Hebrew race and others as well. <laughs> the father of many nations. King David, he fathered the lineage into which Jesus would come to the earth. So these are like Adams, but the original Adam and the last Adam are most alike until 
the first Adam sinned. God was his father, his creator, right? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, made him out of the Adama and called him Adam. And he was without sin. He had access to the tree of life, so he lived eternally. He would live forever. And he was given a job to do, to tend and keep or protect this garden that he was in. Jesus is like Adam in that God is his father, is his father. And he is without sin. And he is risen from the dead, having tasted death for the rest of us, to live forever. Both experiences, Adam's sin and Christ's payment for sin, were the result of a cursed tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil brought a curse, and the cross is a cursed tree because the Bible says, whoever hangs on a tree is cursed. He took the curse of sin for us. So the first and last Adams. Adam's descendants, the Bible says, were reigned over by death. We're going to look at a couple passages in Romans chapter 5. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness and transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Now, the point he's making is Moses, in the giving of the law, gave sin its definition. So it was clear what sin was. And so our sin is rebellion to the law of God, right? Well, prior to Moses, man sinned, maybe not to the degree that Adam did, but they sinned like their father. He brought sin into the human race. All right, next point. Just as our condemnation came from Adam's one offense, so justification, our justification, comes from many offenses. Romans 5 goes on to say, verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So, one man's offense abounded death to all his descendants. And then God's grace, through the gift of grace of the one man, Jesus is the gift of God's grace, through his gift, his blessing, receiving the payment for our offenses, abounded to many. In other words, one man messed us up, one man fixed us up. One guy messed us up, that doesn't seem fair. Well, look at the world in which we live. It's the way things are. Dads, if you get in your car drunk and assist your family ride with you, and you get in a big wreck, your family's going to suffer the consequences because of your action. You see? It's not fair to the kids. It's not fair. But that's the way the world works. The parents have the power to grow up the children, to be mature adults. And if the parents mess up, the kids are messed up. But Jesus came to provide a remedy so that we could forgive our fathers and not live a life of blame and shame, you know, because of our Adamic nature. Through Jesus. So one brought a curse, one can bring a blessing. Same principle works. Verse 16, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Now this is the mystery 
of the love of God. One offense brought condemnation. Many offenses brought justification. We need justification because we have condemnation. What are those many offenses? Look at all the crimes committed against the Son of God. Conspiracy, betrayal, abandonment, beating, thievery, false accusation, slander, libel, lying, death. Even the piercing of his side could be called corpse mutilation. Torture. We could spend the whole day analyzing all the many offenses that were committed against the Son of God, which that's who he is, which heightens the level of those sins. Slap me around, it's offensive. Slap my kid around, oh my goodness. That's offensive on a whole nother level. The planet should have melted. Should have melted when the arrest happened in Gethsemane. Adam brought sin and death into the world. Christ brought righteousness and life into the world. Adam lived and sinned in the Garden of Eden. Christ paid for our sin on the cross, which actually began, the whole drama began in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was arrested, right? And that's really where the battle was won. I thought it was one from the empty tomb. No, it was one when Jesus prayed in that garden, not my will, but thine be done. He did not yield to his temptation to rebel against the Father's will. It was a much higher command than don't eat of a tree, but to lay down your life. Adam brought disobedience. Christ blessed us with his obedience. Condemnation to justification. Sin reigned through death. Grace reigns through righteousness. What is righteousness? Is it forgiveness? It's beyond that. You know, if you owed a million dollars, that would be a great debt. If you cared about your name, you cared about your debt, it would weigh on you. But when that debt is forgiven or paid off, it would be a tremendous relief, wouldn't it? Like, whoa, awesome. My books were in the red, and now they're not. That's awesome. That's forgiveness. But God doesn't stop there. He gives us righteousness. Now, no longer do I owe millions, but I own millions. From owing to owning. From indebtedness to a credit beyond price. Priceless. Righteousness. It's great to be forgiven but we've been imputed with righteousness. And I think as believers, we, we value forgiveness, but we kind of stop there. No, we've been given righteousness. We've been imputed with the righteousness of God. Christ became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5, so that we might be made the righteousness of God. He came down so we could go up. He came out so we could go in. He became naked so we could be clothed. He became sin so that we could be made righteous. He became poor so that we might be made rich. He became dead so that we might be made alive. The law demonstrates the seriousness of the act of Adam, but grace demonstrates the seriousness of Christ's act, righteous act, and his greater grace. And his grace holds us now 
Sin abounded through Adam, but grace overflows through Christ. Who's greater, the first Adam or the last one? The last one. A man brought us death, but the man bought us life. I love this. For since by man, 1 Corinthians 15, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. All die in Adam, but in Christ all should be made alive. As in Adam, all die. Verse 22, even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. The first Adam became a living being. God formed him from the Adama and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And so it is written, verse 45, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So he wasn't just brought back to life for himself. He was brought back to life to breathe, to give us life. And one of his early appearances to the disciples in John, he did what to them? He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Days later, in the, in the, uh, on the day of Pentecost, a rushing wind came, filled the house where the believers were sitting, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter addressed the crowd, wondering what was going on, said, Jesus, whom you crucified, poured out this which you now see and hear. So he credited Christ. He's the life-giving Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit. The first man was earthly, and our Lord is heavenly. Verse 47 of 1 Corinthians 15. The first man is of the earth, earthy, or you could say earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven, or you could say heavenly. As is the earthly or the terrestrial, such as they, such are they also that are earthly or terrestrial. As is the heavenly or celestial soul also, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we also shall bear the image of the heavenly. Now we read this, I read it every time I do a graveside service. Looking forward to the resurrection when we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Awesome. But I think there's a promise in this of spiritual growth that we are being made like him. All right. We dealt with several issues concerning the last Adam and the first Adam, but what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? I don't know, maybe the NBA can tell us. Anyway. <laughs> All right, together, on the count of three. One, two, three. So I'm glad you asked. Adam's descendants were reigned over by death. We've experienced in that. Um, our condemnation came from his one offense, but justification came from many offenses. A man brought us death, but the man bought us life. All die in Adam, but in Christ all shall be made alive. The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first man is earthly, and our Lord is heavenly. And here's the so what answer to the question. Is your life being conformed to his heavenly image? Well, when I die, you know, I'll fly away 
Oh, glory, I'll fly away. We used to sing that in church and really didn't read the words. We thought it was about the rapture. But you read it, it's about dying. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. So is it just after we die that we're being conformed or are we being conformed now? Verse 49, as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So that is, we're living in the, Shannon, in the now, between the now and the not yet. We shall bear his image. We shall be like him, but we are being made like him. Look at this. One of my favorite verses, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the call according to his purpose. Anyone here part of the called? Anyone here love God? Then that means everything's going to work together for good. What is that good? I think it's revealed in the next verse. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So it involves death to self. Not just death to my body, but it's death to my stinking thinking. I need to check up from the neck up because I've got a hardening of the attitudes. Unchrist-likeness must go. Shall we sin? Paul wrote in another place, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we who died to sin continue in it? So we're dying to sin. We're dying out to selfishness. We're living sacrifices. This makes us like Jesus. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This makes us like Jesus. So we are being conformed to his image. So everything's working out for that good for that. Many times people will quote Romans 8, 28, ignore verse 29, thinking everything's going to go their way. That's scripture twisting. Everything's not going to go my way. Everything's going to go his way. He's the one that foreknew us. He's the one that predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. We will like it in the long run, but we may not like it always in the process. That makes sense? Wednesday, I had the honor of conducting a funeral here for Greg Madden's dear mother. And afterwards, there was going to be a graveside service. There was a graveside service, a burial, at Laurelland in Fort Worth, the south side of Fort Worth. And um, I thought I was going to be late. I freaked out. Yvette was going to drive me. I'm not going to throw you under the bus, baby. I promise. But due to circumstances beyond her control, due to circumstances beyond our control, we left five minutes after the funeral procession left. And I was freaking out. And we hit Crescent, and there's a train. <laughs> and we're a long ways from, from, you know, from the thing. So I, in my wisdom, uh, I did something foolish, and I did something wise. The foolish thing was that my wife suggested I refused to call Greg to tell him what was happening. 
figure, let me apologize to him once. So my pride wouldn't let me call him. But the other thing I did that was wise, I just laid my seat back. She was driving right. I'm just going to be at peace. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm not going to let this thing get to me. But inside, there's a war going on. I'm wanting to vent. I'm wanting to, you know, express anger and disappointment and all that stuff. Well, to make a long story short, we were there 15 minutes before the FEMA commission arrived. (laughs) Did not know it till we got there. Two things we didn't know, one of which I forgot. First thing we didn't know is the funeral procession was also stuck behind a train. <laughs> we couldn't see. The second thing we didn't know is we didn't know they would take a, they would take a right at Wheatland, more famously known as Whiskey Flats, and head to Crowley Road and then head north that way to Laurelland. So we go straight to Benbrook. The other thing I forgot was funeral possessions don't move fast. And baby, when we got through that uh, traffic jam, this event was moving fast. <laughs> so if all things work together for good, what's the good out of that? A good lesson. It's great to live a life without regrets. It's great, with, it's great not having to eat crow all the time. I've had it fried. I've had it baked. I've had it dried. I've had it smoked. I've had it with ketchup, with sauce, and barbecued. It never tastes good. But I, I retained my composure and stayed at peace. A decision of the will did not yield to the serpent's voice. Not that I blame him for everything. Why was I so upset? Why do we, let, let's kind of broaden here, why men do we or women do we get so angry? Sometimes it's because of vows that we have made to ourselves and to others. And when we are unable to keep them due to circumstances beyond our control. Control is a key word here. It upsets us. Because we want to be men and women of our word, don't we? Years ago, I was assistant pastor at a church in Houston. That sounds like a glorious position. It had 25 acres of grass to mow and a 30-space trailer park that had to look good at all And the church members that lived there did not have the same vision for the trailer park that the pastor did. So guess who helped helped fulfill his vision? So anyway, but I did weddings and funerals. And there was a wedding scheduled for some non-members. And I completely forgot about it. Wound up being an hour late to the wedding. It was terrible. The people were not happy. They were from Haiti to make it even worse, you know, thinking American didn't respect them. I just messed up. So at that point, I made a vow, I will never be late to important things like this again. Funerals and weddings are kind of in the same bucket with a pastor. (laughs) So here's my vow looking like it's getting violated when reality 
James told us not to make vows. We live as the Lord wills. Don't get up and say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But as the Lord wills, I hope to do this, I hope to do that. It's keeping your hand on the plow, but it's not becoming a controlling person, vulnerable to, to anger and upsetness and out of the ordinary, out of proportion reactions. That's for somebody today. Maybe you said, I'm never going to be hurt again. And when somebody hurts you, it creates it, it makes it bigger than it really is. Bigger than it really is. I mean, Greg's a preacher. He might have liked the honor of doing his mother's graveside funeral. And when, we, when they arrived, it was still 20 minutes before anything happened. So what was the problem? It was me. It was my nature. It was my vow. So these kind of things make us vulnerable to depression, overreaction, explosive anger, harsh words, disappointment, anxiety, all because of all these many, many promises we make ourselves and to others, we're never going to do this or I'm never going to do that. And then when we do, we feel condemned. We feel like losers. That's why, why I didn't want to call Greg. Hello, Greg, I'm a loser. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace that you have for us. I pray, Lord, that you would make us like you want us to be. Lord, may we surrender all our promises and all our vows to you and trust you to make us faithful people of our word, not because of our strength, but because of your grace that is in us. In Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, for every man, woman, boy, and girl, that we would be humble people who desire to walk in your ways, leaning on you for your strength, According to your will and your grace, Lord, we will do what you called us to do. As you empower us, fill us with your spirit. Lord, we thank you that you are the life-giving spirit. We receive the life that you give. In Jesus' name.